0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome into the Otson Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Skopel is with me as always. And as we dive into this Friday show, this weekend edition podcast, hopefully you guys out there enjoy your weekends, get some time to Find a way to get outside and, and just enjoy your weekend, enjoy your day off. And if it's not your weekend, hopefully this can help you kind of grind through uh, your work day uh, or your work, you know, the next few days of work. Uh, hopefully you guys are all doing safe. Want we'll to remind you guys right now: if you are looking to subscribe to DuckTerritory.com, you can save some money by doing so. Right now we've we've got a one dollar promotion, one dollar for your first month and then 9.95 thereafter if you want to go annual membership right now it's, it's regular price but you save considerably you save almost $3 uh, over $3 almost $4 by paying annual when you look at what you pay per month over that annual membership so highly encourage you guys if you can afford it if you're looking to to join our community which has a really good group of duck fans on it uh, check us out now Eric we're going to discuss there's a lot of stuff we were Gonna try and cover in this podcast. Quite honestly, I don't know if we're gonna get to it all because <laughs> earlier in the week, we said we needed to do the defensive court, the defensive side of the football from a recruiting perspective. And we were gonna do that, but then some news came out with the women's basketball program. We've got some news that's come out from the men's basketball program. We've got some football stuff that's come out, some betting odds and uh, and whatnot and it's kind of like we need to address these things that are kind of a hot topics today yet at the same time football recruiting uh, is, a, is a discussion that's going to take an entire show and so we're in a good spot we got a lot, of, a lot of stuff to talk talk about
0: yeah there's no question about it and that's a great thing right now considering that <laughs> you know there's not a whole lot of tangible things sports-wise the fact that we have so many topics to discuss I think it's exciting and um, I think there's going to be some interesting uh discussion points here because a lot of these things are kind of like, I don't know, I think pretty interesting topics to discuss because uh, some controversy in terms of where they think Oregon will finish in the Pac-12 North, um, we'll get that in a minute, but I think that one really stood out to me.
1: Yeah, we're going to dive in right there. Um, CBS Sports recently came out with some, some predictions for the 2020 football season, David Cobb, National College Football Writer, uh, released win totals and predicting the win totals for his opinion on the Pac-12 in 2020, and he's high on the Ducks. He, he has Oregon winning 10 games. He has Oregon losing just one game in the Pac-12 season, but even though if they go 8 and 1 in his mind in conference play they go 10 and 2 overall they will not represent the north in the Pac-12 championship game because i, I think this is the bigger news he thinks Cal is going to go 11 and 1 and 8 and 1 in conference play beat the Ducks and win the Pac-12 North i know my reaction was whoa what was your reaction
0: 11 wins for Cal feels like a huge number. Um, and I know Cal last year was really good when Chase Garbers was healthy. Um, they won eight games. They were probably, over the course of the last month of the regular season, and you include the bowl game, maybe the second or third most impressive Pac-12 team behind Oregon or Utah. Maybe you could say they're more impressive than Utah, considering how Utah performed in the Pac-12 championship and, and obviously in the Alamo Bowl. But um, I just don't think 11 wins is – I would be stunned. I really would. And I, this comes from somebody – and this has been making the rounds on our message boards, that actually picked Cal to beat Oregon in his preseason prediction story um, from earlier this year. Uh, I think Cal's going to be pretty good, and I probably differ from you in terms of how good I think they could be. I really think Cal could compete to win the division. Um I don't think they will win the division. Ultimately, I think they're going to drop a couple games, and I think Oregon will win the that 12 North, and I'm on the record saying that previously, but... I think Cal's going to maybe. I think Cal's going to be Oregon's stiffest competition in the Pac-12 North this year. But 11 wins, going eight and one, they have to play Texas Christian, TCU in the non-conference. I just saw that and thought, whoa, that is a really bold move, Cotton. I did not expect uh, 11 wins from Cal. Uh, I think the Oregon prediction is pretty reasonable, to be honest with you. 10 and two, eight and one in the Pac-12. A loss to Ohio State, a loss to Cal. Um, I actually had Oregon losing a third game to USC later in the season. So. Um, but the Cal part, I just think it seems really, really, it's, it's a lot to expect Cal with the shortcomings we saw offensively. I know defensively they were strong last year. Um, to expect them to lose just one season, I think that's a tough ask.
1: Yeah. I, in Thursday's quack chat on duckterritory.com, that's where Eric, Kevin, and I, we answer questions all day long in a, in a thread for Duck fans. Uh, and someone asked me what I felt like Oregon's record would be next season, and I said ten and two. I felt like they would lose uh, at Ohio, they would lose at home to Ohio State, and then lose a conference game on the road. And it, it could be at Cal. I mean, it it, it could be uh, a game at Arizona. Um, I, I I I think there's games out there that they could lose. Cal obviously is one of them. I I think Cal's going to be good. I mean, they bring back more yeah. starters than any other team in the Pac-12 does next season. Right. Um but I I go back to 2019 and look, okay, they were 8 and 5. They they finished second in the Pac-12 North, but look at how many games with Garbers and without Garbers that they barely won. I mean, they beat UC Davis 27 to 13. A week two game at Washington. And remember, this game had lightning delays that didn't finish until like 1 a.m. in the morning, Pacific time. Cal won that one 20 to 19. They beat North Texas, a team that was a bowl team, 23 to 17. They beat Ole Miss on the road 28 to 20. Uh, you could argue on the other side, though. They lost it to ASU by 7, 24 to 17 at home. That was their first game, uh, I believe, when which Garbers got hurt. Uh, Oregon, they lost 17 to 7 on the road. Oregon State, they lost 21 to 17. They got destroyed by Utah, 35 nothing. Um, but a lot of their wins at Stanford, 24 to 20. UCLA on the road, they won by 10, 28 to 18. A lot of these games literally were 2 or 3 point, 4 or 5 point wins or losses, either direction. And I, uh, their season just as easily could have been five and eight last year, in opposed to, or, or I should say five and seven, because they wouldn't have gotten the bowl game. Right. Uh, as it easily could have been seven and five going into their bowl game against Illinois, which they won thirty-five to twenty. Um, Garbers is a, is a legitimate talent and a really good quarterback. Might be one of the top five quarterbacks in the conference next season, but. I, I look at the schedule and say, okay, if, if they're going to go 11 and 1, that means they're only losing one game between TCU, Utah at Washington State at USC versus Oregon versus Washington at Arizona State. They're only losing one of those games. I, I look at Utah and say, that's a game at home that they could easily lose. I look at Washington State on the road in Pullman. That's tough. I know the Cougars have a new head coach at USC. I'm penciling that one in as a loss. I don't, I don't see the Trojans losing to Cal at, at home. Oregon, I think Oregon is a better program, but then you got, you know, Washington and and you've got Arizona State too, that are, that are two bull teams, bull caliber teams. And then I'm just curious, does, let's flip this real quick. Do you have to have one loss in the Pac-12 North, Eric, to, to win next season? Or can you be a team that wins, you know, that, that loses twice in conference play and still can win the division?
0: Oh, no, I'm on board with that. And that was my prediction for this season. I, I think Oregon's going to be 7-2 in the Pac-12 North and they're going to win the division. I think Cal's going to lose three games. I think Cal's, I think Cal's going to have a good season, an, an improved season. I think they are going to be really competitive. I think, you ran through how close their games were last year. I think that's going to be kind of the identity of Justin Wilcox's teams at Cal, um, throughout his tenure there. I think you're going to see teams that are extremely competitive, obviously play, obviously defensive focused teams. That's kind of his background. You look at that staff, that's how they've been built, um, to be strong on that side of the ball. Um, so like, yeah, I, I think Cal's going to be a really tough out, but I also think that they're going to lack some of that offensive explosiveness. Um, Garber's is a competent quarterback. He was good last year. You go watch him though he's not he doesn't stand out on tape like other quarterbacks in the conference, like a Jacob Easton with his arm strength, obviously a Justin Herbert, um even Gordon at Washington State. Uh, you know, I, I I felt Garbers lacked a little of that arm strength. So I think they could lose I think they're gonna lose three games, I do. Um and I think Oregon's gonna lose twice. I think one of those losses will come to Cal, as strange as that sounds. But I think it's gonna be a dog fight in the Pac twelve north. I, I do and, and I think a lot of people on the message boards were confused and why I thought Oregon would lose three games after they just lost um, once this last year in the Pac-12. Well, I think the schedule is a little bit more difficult. Um, you know. And, and, and I think they lose Justin Herbert and they have to replace him with a new quarterback. And maybe Anthony Brown beats Tyler Shuck out and Anthony Brown is much better than I give him credit for and is a, a revelation and Oregon is much, much better than I'm expecting they'll be offensively right away but I also see there being a scenario where it might take a little bit of time for if it is Tyler Shuck or Anthony Brown to kind of get in a rhythm offensively um, and they're going to drop a game or two early on so yeah I think I think the Pac-12 North I could see I think it's going to be a two three loss team that probably finishes at the top I think a two loss team in Oregon um, I don't think this is a year where you are going to see A undefeated Pac-12 North team or a one loss Pac-12 North team. I mean, Oregon really dominated the Pac-12 North last year. They were 5-0. None of those games were particularly competitive with the exception. I guess some of those games were competitive. Washington, Washington State and Cal were all competitive. But they were, they were the better team. I don't think that's going to be how it plays out this year. I think it will be really competitive. And I do think a team with more than, uh, with two or more losses is going to end up on top of that division. And I think they're going to come and, and knock off the winner in the Pac-12 South, um, whoever that might be.
1: CBS says in the Pac-12 North, Cal wins at eight and one in league, eleven and one overall. Oregon also finishes eight and one in league, ten and two overall. And then in the and below those two, it, you get some separation. Washington's eight and four with a six and three Pac-12 record. Stanford six and six with a four and five record. Oregon State five and seven with a three and six record in the Pac-12. And the Cougars finish last in the Pac-12 North at three and nine overall, one and eight. Uh, in Pac-12 play. Uh, hard fall for the Cougars if this <laughs> okay. prediction were to play out. Uh, in the South, though, this is where it gets interesting. I think there's a lot of options, a lot of names that are popular. Uh, CBS Sports has USC finishing 10-2 and two in the overall 8-1 and one in the Pac-12. Their only losses being Alabama Week 1. I think that game is being played in Dallas. Uh, and then... At Oregon, a game that will be played, uh, I believe, Eric, late October in, yeah. in Eugene. Uh, it's going to set up to be a huge football game, probably the biggest game of the year for Oregon if Ohio State, for whatever reason, doesn't get played. Uh, Arizona State is behind USC at seven and five, five and four in Pac-12 play. Utah eight and four, five and four in Pac-12 play, and then UCLA is sixth and six with a three and six Pac-12 record. And then Arizona's 4 and 8 and 2 and 7. And Colorado, no surprise, is last in the Pac-12 South at 3 and 9, 1 and 8 overall in the Pac-12. I think this, this order, uh, is probably about right. I think you could maybe argue Utah ahead of ASU, even though the youths lose a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. I I look at Utah and think 8 and 4 continuity. They're consistently good every season. Um, but Arizona State, look, they bring back Jaden Daniels. Uh This is Herm Edwards' third year. He's got a really good defense. Uh, you know, when you have a good quarterback and you've got a good defense, you're going to win some games.
0: Yeah, I like the order. I think the order is right. Um, USC, ASU, Utah, UCLA, Arizona, Colorado, I'm, I'm on board with all of that, um, barring some stuff this off season that changes some of this injuries, transfers, et cetera. Um I just thought the fact that you have USC three games ahead of Arizona State and Utah felt a little bit extreme. Um, and I think, and I'm, again, I'm on board of thinking USC is pretty good and that they're going to actually beat Oregon this year. That's one of my other predictions from that story, which if you're listening to this podcast, you probably hate me right now, but (laughs) that was the way uh, I saw things playing out when I wrote that earlier this year. And I stand behind a lot of it. Um, but at the same time, I think, I think that's going to be pretty competitive and I could see like Arizona State or Utah. Being a game behind and maybe they play, I don't know, I don't have the Pac-12 South schedules pulled up in front of it. Maybe there's a, a division determining game sometime in November between USC and Utah or USC and Arizona State or Arizona State and Utah that determines. I think those three teams are actually like fairly competitive. Um, I would, and I would actually give Arizona State, maybe I'm just Maybe this is based purely on Oregon's head-to-head with the schools last year, but Arizona State was obviously the only team to beat Oregon in the Pac-12. They bring back a lot, including a lot of exciting offensive skill players. You know Benjamin's gone. Um, obviously, Brand Ayuk's gone, but Jaden Daniels was a revelation. They bring back a couple of other uh, offensive players that I think are going to be pretty good. Uh, I, I think that's going to be a competitive team, and I think that's a team that could really push USC – to win the South. So I, I I think the order's right. I think the disparity between USC and the rest of the field feels a little extreme. I think USC is probably going to lose um, at, at least two games. Again, I don't think this is going to be a year where any single team in the Pac-12 is dominant, which of course means there's probably not going to be a Pac-12 team in the college football playoff, which is a bummer once again, but I, I think that's the reality that it's the conference finds itself from.
1: You mentioned probably no chance that, the, the Pac-12 sends a team to the college football playoff, but I look at this and think, okay, if USC is 10 and 2 overall, Oregon is 10 and 2, Cal is 11 and 1, and let's just let's just say like, can can Washington win their bowl game and get to 9 and 4? Can Utah win their bowl game and get to 9 and 4? Can Arizona State win their bowl game and get to 8 and 5? I think the depth of the league, while they don't make the college football playoff, they're not playing at the highest level possible. I do think this this year would be a a, the, a step in the right direction for the conference as a whole because, yes, they're not playing in the college football playoff, and that's the ultimate goal, and ultimately that's what you're judged upon. But this would continue to show that the Pac-12 it is taking the steps it needs to take to get better as an entire conference, if it's producing – three or four teams that can win double-digit games in a season.
0: Yeah, and I I think last year it was Oregon and Utah at the top, and it was pretty clear those are the two best teams. I think this is going to be a year where there are four or five teams that are genuinely in the discussion for for the top team in the conference. I think Oregon's going to be one of those teams. Ultimately, I think they'll prove to be the the Pac-12 champion. I also have predicted that, but um, I don't expect it's going to be a a two-horse race this year. I think there's going to be a lot of teams competing.
1: All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Austin Audibles podcast. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to the Aughts and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prairie, Eric is with me as always. And earlier this week, uh, we got news that Stanford wing, the women's basketball team, Dijanae Carrington, would be grad transferring. And... Oregon was one of three schools that she is going to be considering and if if you're wondering Dgene Carrington that sound last name sounds familiar yes she is the younger sister of former Oregon football player uh Darren Carrington and Eric there's a couple other schools in in play here for Dgene Yukon Baylor Oregon three powerhouse programs just where does she land, you feel like, in the scope of a grad transfer hierarchy from a national perspective? Is she a, a, a recruit that any school would want? I mean, obviously she's looking at UConn, Baylor, and Oregon, so that speaks to how good she is. But is she the best available grad transfer that that comes out this, this
0: offseason? ESPN has a grad transfer rankings for women's college basketball on their site. And number one was Destiny Slocum from Oregon State. And I don't know if she's made a decision, actually. I think she has recently. And I, I'm, I'm out of playing for where she's going. Arkansas, thank you. Uh, and Carrington was number two on that list. So, uh, yeah, she is right near the top of that. And, and I think – Carrington might have been above Slocum had she played last season. And, of course, had she played last season, she wouldn't be a grad transfer because she already would have graduated from Stanford. Um, so that part is somewhat, I guess, fortuitous, quote-unquote. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she's she's undoubtedly one of uh, the, the top players that is eligible to join another roster and play immediately. I don't think there's any question about that. And uh, you look at her, and she was a Pac-12 all-conference player, and they do that as a 10-team A ten-player team, so that she was one of the ten best players in the conference in the 2018-19 season. Um, Averaged 14.75 rebounds per game. uh, Shot about 45% from the field. Uh, If you you want to think of a bad memory from the last couple of years of the Oregon women's basketball, that loss in the Pac-12 conference championship game to Stanford in 2019, Carrington was the star player for Stanford. She led them in scoring. She had 22 points, nine rebounds. She made over half of her field goal attempts. She had a couple of steals. Um, you know, I, I think I look at her and say she could come to Oregon if she picks Oregon, and I think there's a pretty good chance it plays out that way. Um, if she does end up at Oregon, you slot her into that starting lineup, and she potentially becomes a candidate to, to lead the team in scoring. Now, of course, you have Sedona Prince, and there's so many kind of up in the air here, but if Carrington ends up at Oregon, um, that is a huge addition. It's a an addition that keeps them, and they already are really competitive, and we should say ESPN just came out with their... Uh, bracketology for next year's tournament. And, of course, we're looking about a year in advance. But they have Oregon as a three-seed in that. So that's sort of an indication of what the prediction or the understanding of their team for next year feels like Even right without now, Carrington. Without Carrington. But if you add Carrington, I really think you then look at them as a team that they can make a Final Four. And, and I think they're kind of an outside dark horse right now maybe for that. But they add Carrington and suddenly you have a, a much more complete roster. You have some uh, experience and senior leadership to add with Aaron Boley um, and, I guess, Lydia Giomi. I think it'd be a huge addition and one that if you're an Oregon fan, I know there was some discussion on the message board about whether or not Oregon should go after her. And I think part of that was because of uh, her brother and how it ended at Oregon. But, but this is a no brainer. I mean, he's a, She would be a huge addition to this program. And for a second consecutive year, Oregon could go take one of the top players in the Pac-12, add them to their roster as a grad transfer um, and, and turn and recap it. Obviously we saw that this year with uh, Mignon Moore and, and what she was able to do as a senior in, in kind of helping Oregon to a Pac-12 championship. You just said it would be a huge
1: addition to this team. What, why, where does she fit in with this program if she came to Oregon? What would what would her impact be? Like, what, why is Oregon interested in adding a grad transfer aside from the experience factor? Maybe that's so important to them when they've got five five-star freshmen coming in and some core guys pl- coming back from last year's team.
0: Yeah, no, and I think the experience part's a big part of it. The talent is pretty evident. Um, again, I think if she had played her, at her last season at Stanford and, and she only played five games and was injured pretty quickly that season, you, you'd be looking at uh, an all-conference player, a player that was probably drafted. I'm not sure if it's a first round, but she would have been selected in one of the rounds, I think, in this pre- previous WNBA draft. In terms of a fitted Oregon, I think you could see her, even though they'd be pretty undersized based upon what they were last year, I think you could see her sort of, you know, fit into that satu saboli small forward kind of role, even though she's only 5 foot 11. That would be a backcourt more than likely if, if we're to assume Jazz Shelley and uh, Taylor Chavez or the other two starting guards where everyone's under 6 feet, which is, which is a little bit undersized, certainly, but she has a, an awful lot of length. She's a good defensive player. Doesn't get a lot of steals. Um, averages about one a game. That's a decent number. But, you know, Minion Moore was averaging about two, a little over two at at USC. So she was a little bit more of a, uh, uh, I, I guess, a disruptive presence than Carrington has proven to be. But I think Carrington's pretty undoubtedly a better offensive player. Um She shot 33% from three this last season, or I should say in 2018-19, um, which is up from when she shot under 30% her first two seasons. I think this is an addition that makes sense from a, Hey, we want to be better. We want to be really competitive and she brings some leadership and they need that. I think that's the thing that you look at this roster and and I think, I don't know where that leadership necessarily comes from. You're going to be asking a lot from a bunch of young players. Having a veteran presence would be hugely beneficial. Uh, and again, I think there's positional versatility where she could play the two, the three, and maybe like in a real pinch, some, some power forward if they're really going to go small, which I don't know if they'll go that way because they do have some size up front that's pretty enticing and exciting.
1: Looking at the roster, I, I would think she, she warrants the start, right? Like let's just, let's get way ahead of, of the cart here for a second. Yeah. And Carrington commits to Oregon and, Everyone on the roster is healthy. What would their starting lineup look like in your eyes?
0: Yeah, I think it I think it would be Jazz Shelley, Taylor Chavez, Dijanay Carrington. I'm gonna say it's gonna be kind of undersized and they'd still stick with Aaron Bowley at, at kind of that quasi power forward small forward position. Obviously it helped last year having a Satu Sabli kind of be able to uh, you know, play down low a little bit, be more of a rebounding presence. I think they'd be a little undersized that way. But then at center you'd have Sedona Prince who'd make up for a little bit at six 6'7. Um that would make a ton of sense. If they want to go a little bigger, maybe you see Aaron Boley come out of the rotation and you start a Nyara Saubly or you start a Kylie Watson, one of those freshmen. Or DJ, DJ Carrington plays shooting guard and Aaron Boley plays small forward and then you have your two traditional bigs. But the first roster, the first, ros- the first uh, starting lineup I ran through I think makes the most sense based upon kind of the way the team is has been constructed in previous years. Of you want to have a, a lot of players on the court that are very capable ball handlers that can initiate an offense, and you want to have players that can shoot the basketball. And I think that's what you would accomplish uh, with this lineup, because if you know, in terms of shooting the three-point shot, every player on the court would be a very strong three-point shooter. Carrington might be the weakest um, out of those five. I know she shot 33%, but she has had problems in that area previously. But Prince is known to – You know, is known to be a pretty strong three-point shooter, and the other three uh, are all over 40% three-point shooters last year. Obviously, Chavez led the Pac-12 in three-point shooting. So I think that would make a lot of sense. And, of course, we are putting the cart way ahead of the horse, and there's a bunch of freshmen that are going to have something to say about that starting lineup. I think it would be pretty wild to have three players under six foot starting, and none of them would be uh, those three five-star perimeter players that Oregon signed in 2020. But that might be the way this plays out, at least to start the season. And I think that's what's going to be fun is I, I could see the starting lineup and the rotations looking completely different in November than they would in March and maybe into April when Oregon's competing for, uh, you know, a national championship or a Final Four appearance.
1: All right. Now let's dive into some football recruiting from a football perspective. Um, there's going to be some news that comes out next week. Victory Vaca, a four-star defensive tackle out of Westlake Village, California, Westlake High School. He has announced he's going to give a verbal commitment in three days. Uh, it It's going to happen uh, Monday and, or I should say Tuesday, and this is a player, Eric, I, I think for a long period of time, a lot of people felt like he was going to go to Oregon, but I... I'm looking at this and thinking, even if he doesn't commit to Oregon, and it's trending that he doesn't, uh, I, A, I think his his recruitment isn't over. B, I think Oregon, the reason that he's not going to Oregon is a sign that Oregon feels like they may be in a strong position somewhere else.
0: Yeah, the the trend right now, at least in the crystal ball, is Texas A&M. Um, and you know, this is a kid out of California, once again. I, I always hate seeing players leave the Pac-12 footprint especially for SEC schools right now, and especially top 200 you know, recruits that are some of the biggest, you know, and defensive linemen in particular. There's only so many good defensive line recruits um, on the West Coast every cycle, and to see them not play in the Pac-12, even if it's not at Oregon, always sort of bums me out a little bit. Um, but Oregon is in on some, some of the top dogs for sure if, if you want to look at uh, the defensive line this year. And, and it is a defensive line which – this is a trend that hasn't been the case. I don't think that frequently recently because you, you look at, you talk about where the big defensive linemen come from. Typically it is that southeast part of the country. Um, but you look at this year out west, you have Corey Foreman and you have JT, uh, Tumalo, and those are the top two defensive end prospects and the number one and two players in the country, um, each in, on the west coast. Uh, Matt, do you think this is an indication that they feel good there or, or where do you think they feel pretty good right now?
1: I think this is more of an indication of the guys that they have on the roster. Like I, I think would they want to, would Oregon want to sign victory Vaca? Yes. Would Oregon want to take him when they may miss out on some other players at other positions because of an early commitment from Vaca? No. Um I, I think this is a case where Oregon wants to see his senior season a little bit more. They want to evaluate him in person a little bit more and, while wow, it's great to have a commitment, you don't want to take a guy that's, that you're not 100% sold on yet. And Victory Vaca has, has a couple times tried to commit to Oregon. And I wonder if maybe things, he, he's getting tired of waiting to see if Oregon would take the commitment or not. And so he's moving off and going in another direction, uh, to Texas A&M. Um, obviously, he is a talented player. He's the 12th best defensive tackle in the country, the 203rd best player nationally, regardless of position. So it's not like this isn't a guy that's, that's low on the totem pole. I mean, he's a, he's a four star defensive lineman and he's from California. But I think this is more of a sign that Oregon has a lot of talent waiting in the wings along the defensive line behind Jordan Scott over the next few seasons. And yes, Jordan Scott is a senior. He won't be on the roster, but we know, we know speaking with coaches on the record that they felt like Popo Amave as a, as a sophomore this past season was just as good as Jordan Scott and a guy that's going to have an opportunity to, to be a big time player. We know they're incredibly high on Christian Williams and Keon Ware Hudson and Brandon Dorless. All three of those guys. Have the ability to play nose tackle for Oregon. And then we know that they just signed a four star defensive lineman in Jason Jones last year in the 2020 recruiting class, a guy that had every elite school recruiting him and has suffered an injury during his senior season, missed a good chunk of it, put on some weight. Some of the, you know, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Georgia, those schools were kind of iffy because of the weight issues, but Oregon took a chance and the guy has gotten healthy and the guy has drastically cut his weight down to where he was pre-injury, if if not in better condition. And so I look at this as this might be a sign that Oregon staff is incredibly high on the potential that they have in Jason Jones waiting in the wings at at, uh, defensive tackle.
0: And and we've been high on Jones now for for a while, and I think especially when those... Images came up and you see the, the way his body has changed. Um, you know, I think that's always super encouraging. And the upside there is obviously really high. Whenever you have an athlete of his size um, with the athletic tools he possesses, I mean, that could be one of those. It could be another Jordan Scottman. I think we've made that comparison before. Obviously, the height's not there. But you've got a player that was kind of slept on by some of the schools in his region because of his weight or his body. Or injuries a little bit in this case. And Oregon snatches that player up and he ends up being a very productive player. I could see that, you know, coming together as well. And I think other players in that recruiting class, uh, Messi Afisi is a player that I, I think has tremendous upside. I know he showed really well at the Poly Bowl, uh, and, and gained a bit of a rankings boost. I think he ended up being a, a four star by 247 in, in the composite. He's, he's not a four star, but that caliber of a player. Um, I thought Braden Swinson uh, looked pretty darn good. I know he's not an interior lineman, but uh, he fit the bill when we watched him during spring practice. Jake Shipley certainly has the size to be a player down the line, and, and I thought that showed up when we saw him on campus. Uh, and then Jalen Smith is a player that I know is is one of the more, I guess, less highly regarded signees in 2020. But that kid is six foot four, 280 pounds, and you watch the tape, and he can certainly move around a little bit. Um, and that's a high upside interior guy. Yeah. So I think, yeah, they have options and they certainly have talent, uh, that, that is on the roster. And we, we also mentioned just the, you know, you, you mentioned Popo, but also that 2019 class and not, it's not only Kavon, it's, uh, a Brandon Dorlis who, who turned some heads and a Christian Williams and, and so on and so forth. So there are certainly bodies on this roster, um, to offset any recruiting losses. And you're right. Maybe this is a matter of they want to make sure that they, put the eggs in the right basket and and maybe right now uh vaca's basket isn't the right one for them
1: yeah it it, look look at oregon's recruiting class the last couple of years and the commitments that they have taken and you'll see multiple defensive linemen multiple guys that will play defensive tackle at oregon next few seasons uh you mentioned shipley you mentioned a we we talked about jason jones um, Jalen Smith is another one I mean last season in the, in the 2020 recruiting class they signed three guys at defensive tackle and then they only lose one and 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 Jordan Scott and you could argue okay well Popo Amave only has two years left of eligibility uh this season 2020 and in 2021 so you, you need maybe sign a couple more guys there in that regard, but go back even in two in 2019 and the, and the class at that, that, that group signed and Oregon signed seven total defensive linemen uh, in the 2019 recruiting class. And a lot of those guys can play defensive tackle. Keon Hudson, Christian Williams, Suavi Poti, and then Brandon Dorlis are all players who we've seen take reps at defensive tackle, So, I think this is, this is a case of Oregon as being very selective of who they're going to take at defensive tackle. And if they felt any kind of uncertainty about taking a verbal commitment in early May for the 2021 recruiting class, they're probably not going to want to accept the commitment and allow, uh, that player to go somewhere else, especially when knowing Victory Vaca's track record of he's tried to commit to a school two or three different times already, there's probably a sign that, you know what, he could still visit other schools, and Oregon's in a good place right now, I can tell you that, that if they called him in in October or in November to come up for an official visit, I feel pretty confident that Oregon would be able to get him up for a visit as well.
0: So let's assume Vaca picks Texas A&M next week. Is the sky falling, Matt? Oregon, it seems like, is going in the wrong direction here a little bit, and I'm kind of setting you up to tell me that it's not the case, or I'm hoping you're going to tell me that, <laughs> because Oregon had seven verbal commitments not too long ago. They now have five. They haven't picked up one since Ty Thompson, and, of course, he committed right as the COVID-19 stuff was kind of beginning to get a little bit more serious, and then, of course, everything gets shut down. So it's hard to get anyone on campus. It's impossible to get anyone on campus right now, so getting commitments is, is difficult. But what's your, do you have a concern level right now with this class? Only five players. You know, We're now getting into the month of May. Uh, does it seem like that's reason for concern or is the, the, the response here, it's still only May and we have like 10 months until this whole thing gets finalized?
1: I mean, I, I do think you wonder um, why are some schools making verbal commitments opposed, you know, getting verbal commitments opposed to others. Um, Victory Voc, I don't think it's going to be a good example of this reasoning, but I think if you look at, a majority of the players or the schools that are landing verbal commitments and a majority of them are players that are from that school's area, the immediate area, or they've recently been, uh, on campus for an unofficial visit. Uh, and I, I look at Oregon and think, look, in the immediate vicinity of the state of Oregon, there's not a lot of talent here. Um, that, that's, that's in this ranks that, that Oregon, goes after they have the best prospect in in the state of Oregon and Keith Brown um they're gonna re, you know they're recruiting a couple other guys in the state but some of them don't have offers yet from Oregon would it be nice 100% for Oregon to land some verbal commitments uh, in in the 2021 recruiting class but I also go back and think like there's some big fish that that they're out there trying to get and you look at receiver. I mean, they they are players for the number one, the number three, the number uh, five, excuse me, six, the number seven receiver in the country. All those guys, um, none of them are close to committing right now. Early Christian Dixon just released the top eight. He's a four-star re- receiver. He's the thirtieth best receiver at the position, and yet he's still inside the top 200 nationally. So, you know, there's a couple other guys, uh, Antonio Harmon, he's from Mississippi, Isaiah Rayford, uh, another guy from Mississippi, both four-star players at the receiver position that Oregon's in a really good spot with. Um, you know, Brock Bowers is the third best tight end in the country, the 101st best player overall. Uh, Maliki Motabo is the fourth best tight end, the top 150 player overall. He's high on Oregon as well. Um, I'm just going and looking at this as a lot of, a lot of the guys that are committing, and let's just look at the commits right now across the board, uh, from, from the country, not just at Oregon. A lot of the schools that have verbal commitments and are, are in the, in the top echelon. I mean, Ohio State is doing unbelievable things with 17 verbal commitments, three five stars, 12 four stars. You know, North Carolina has 14 verbal commitments, 11 of them are, are four star recruits. They're doing a really good job, but they're also further ahead in terms of the number of verbal commitments that are out there uh, compared to other schools. I mean, Tennessee is the third best team in the country from a recruiting perspective. They don't, they have 15 verbal commitments. They have they have two five stars, which is magnificent uh, to have that many of this early in the process. But they only have three four star recruits. They have ten five uh, they have ten three star recruits. In the fold right now, Florida has 13 verbal commitments, seven four stars, which is good, but they also have six three stars. Uh, Clemson has nine verbal commitments, all nine of them are four star recruits. That's that's a program that's going to make up a ton of ground uh, in the next couple of months when verbal commitments happen, and you know they don't have any three star verbal commitments. Iowa and Minnesota are two teams in the top 10. Both those schools have 10 three-star verbal commitments. Miami is 8th in the country with 9 three-star verbal commitments. And how many does Oregon have? Oregon is all the way right now at 26. They're outside of the top 25 rankings. They only have, they have 5 commitments and they only have 1 three-star recruit. Their average ranking is a 93.46 ranking. That's, I mean, I, I'm terrible at talking and doing math at the same time, but I'm looking at schools that have a better recruiting ranking average than Oregon and you start at 20 at 25 at Pittsburgh, you have to go all the way up to 12th in the country and find Georgia who has a 94.57 to find a school that has a better recruiting average than Oregon does in the top 25 at, at number 12. And, and you go past Georgia and you're going to find a couple other schools. I mean, Oregon, Theoretically, Oregon has, from, an, from a per-ranking perspective, it looks like a top five, a top seven class in the country based off of the quality of recruit that they're getting, not the quantity.
0: How does Oregon get momentum back? And Or maybe it's not even fair to say that lost momentum although it's been a minute since they picked up a commitment is that something that's like even really doable given the circumstances uh or or is this something where you think Oregon's going to kind of have to wait it out before we see uh them kind of I don't want to say write the ship because that indicates that something's really wrong but what what, how long is it going to take do you think for some commitments to start happening or to that possibility to kind of start coming back again or is this something you think you're gonna have to wait uh until the NCAA allows on-campus visits and stuff again
1: what takes, how are they going to be able to get back? Well, they're going to first, they're going to need some guys on campus, or they're going to need some guys that have been on campus to give a verbal commitment to the program. I, I think once you get one commitment, then, then you kind of perk the ears a little bit of someone else that's considering Oregon saying, oh wow, he committed, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go there next. Um, I think there's certainly a lot of options that are out there. Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin, two four-star receivers, both borderline five-star guys, are very high on Oregon right now. And I'm, I'm pulling those two guys out right now just because I think there's a good chance that Oregon signs one, if not both of them. I don't know if they're going to commit tomorrow, if they're going to commit in the month of May. But if one of those guys were to pop, all of a sudden it could lead to the other one committing as well. But it could also open the door for another player or a couple other guys that are in the fold that are looking at Oregon and saying, wow, they've already got this guy, this guy just went, I'm going to go next. And then all of a sudden you've got the momentum going. I think they were very lucky in getting a lot of guys on campus for unofficial visits during the winter and early spring months before everything got shut down. Those players are going to be the focus that Oregon has the best chance of landing commitment. Maybe they, maybe they do fa- find a commitment from somebody that's not that that's not on campus and and that hasn't been on campus. But right now, it's focusing on trying to get those guys that have to commit and preparing putting yourself in a good position so when the campus does open back up again, whenever that is, you can bring in other players and 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 work on you know securing those commitments because you've already gotten, you know, eight or nine total, 10 total verbal commitments from players that have been on campus already. All right. I think that's going to do it for us. Unless Eric, you've got anything left. That's just, we definitely need to talk about.
0: I think we're in a good spot right here. I think, uh, as you said, the, some of this recruiting stuff is cyclical and momentum is really key. And if, if they can start, like you said, if they get one or two guys, that might lead to kind of, uh, a group of commitments or, or at least a lot more momentum than it feels like they have at the moment.
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, I, we'll certainly track this. There's going to be a lot to, to look at, a lot to track. Uh, we've got some recruiting stories up on the site already. Um, hopefully you guys read those. Hopefully you guys continue to listen to the podcast. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Enjoy your weekend. For Eric Scopel myself, Matt Prem, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Adios, amigos.